Amy, it says you are trained in technology. That's very good. Are you adept at Excel? No. PowerPoint? No. Publisher? Not really. Exactly in what area of technology mm -hmm. are you proficient? <laughs> Snapchat, Pinterest, Instagram, Vine, Twitter. You know, the big ones. I'm surprised you didn't say Facebook. people like my parents <laughs> that's funny well Amy when you're working for me you have to have those kind of research skills because I'll send you things for you to comb through and get the answers and send them to me so for that you've got to be really good at technology for stuff like that no problem I'll just ask Siri you, you'll just ask Siri you know Siri tell me this Siri find me that we're all good getting you the answers tell Siri I want you ready to go at 8, sharp, each and every morning. I don't understand. What don't you understand? What you just said. You don't understand be ready to go? No. You said 8, right? Yes. 8, like, in the morning, 8? Yes, in the morning. Yeah... That kind of doesn't work for me. Who gets up at 8? I do. I Skype with my French boyfriend in Paris until like 3 in the morning. I don't even get to Starbucks until like 10 where I order my grande chai tea latte, 3 pumps, skim milk, light water, 2% foam, extra hot but not too hot. So if it's okay, I work best in the morning at 10.45. <laughs> All right, so that's Sandy Reels with you on Sandy Reels 24-7. Isn't that funny? And that's only half of it. That's one of uh, Bruce and I. That's one of our favorite videos we listen we watch it and we laugh every single time. But really, the topic is not so funny. And that is a younger generation that doesn't know how to work, is privileged, is used to, you know, things that you and I would never... I, if I had asked my parents for a something-something latte, I couldn't even get a Diet Coke when I was growing up because we had some at home. My dad would always say, we've got that at home. It's a whole world apart. And the problem is that these kids now are our future. And so we're going to talk about uh, what's happening now with Gen Z, how they're doing in the workplace, the problems, the, uh, the answer, if we can give an answer, and also the solutions. Okay, so this is pretty interesting, and I hope that you will stay tuned. But first, Preborn is doing such a wonderful job of saving the lives of babies, uh, and they do that by showing the mom ultrasound, uh, 40 ultrasound, and when the parents, the moms, see the baby's features, their hands, the movement. I'm telling you, it is a remarkable moment. I saw my baby in this way, but not, not the ultrasound technology was not quite as good. Most moms, over 50%, some say higher than that. Some say as high as 70, decide to keep their babies or at least adopt them out, but not to go through with an abortion. It is in a miraculous, incredible way to save lives. And many of you have been joining to help make that happen, uh, preborn because of your help this year has saved over fifty-eight thousand babies' lives. Uh, that's not a small thing. That's real savings. That's not just talk, writing, demonstrating. That's real saving of lives. If you would like to help preborn continue to do this, go to preborn.com/sandy. That's preborn.com/sandy. Well, you know you can call us, Sandy Reels 24-7 at 
821-2040. That's 662-821-2040. You can email us at sandy at AFR.net. You can hear this show on any podcast platform, Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to podcasts. Our AFR.net, which is our mother's ship. That's American Family Radio, which I uh, have the privilege of working with for many, many years now. So uh, that's how you listen, and that's how you get in touch with us. <clears throat> All right, so we're in. This is a really interesting discussion today. It will make you laugh a little bit, but it will also make you concerned, and maybe it will make you think, and maybe you and I can actually be part of the solution. So sit back and listen to today's edition of Sandy Rios. 24-7. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. That we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice. Not social justice, but God's justice. What's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up. Speak up. Say something. Do something. All right, Richard Southern is here for our first interesting stories chat of the year. And we're starting off with those who might be looking for a new job. What's the key to landing a new job? Apparently, it depends on what you bring and don't bring to an interview. You've got to nail the interview, right? Of course. And you know what the younger candidates are doing now? The Gen Zs, they're called. Okay. You know, the new graduates. Yep. They're bringing mom and dad to the interview. Interesting approach. Um, I kid you not. This is, you know, helicopter parenting. This is a whole new level okay. in helicopter parenting, apparently. Uh, new survey. Uh, of employers found that they said 18% of recent college and university graduates, that's one in five, showed up with a parent at the job interview. Oh, just for support? Like, were they actually in the room? They were in the room, you know, oh. they're, help, they're trying to help out. Okay. It's a little weird, though. And the employers, they're not liking this so much. It's one of the reasons why, apparently, companies are shying away now from new graduates looking to hire older people instead. They said 53% uh, of employers surveyed uh, found that recent college and university grads struggled with eye contact during the interviews as well. 50% uh, asked for unreasonable compensation and 47% didn't dress appropriately. Well, that's an outlet called City News Chat. Uh, So I think it pretty much tells the story of what we're going to talk about today because our guest has written an article called Gen Z is shaping itself into a wasted generation. Well, there are some funny parts and some not so funny parts. And since all of us are connected generation to generation, we need to discuss what this means and what we need to do about it. Zachary Marshall is a Ph.D., He's the editor-in-chief of Campus Reform, and you know I've talked about Campus Reform. They, uh, they have, they've been doing great work now for probably nearly two decades. I'm guessing. Zachary can correct me. Uh, Zachary's also an adjunct, adjunct professor at the University of Kentucky. Zachary, thank you for joining us. Or should I say professor? Uh, Zachary's fine. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Uh, what do you teach, Zachary? Um, I teach cultural policy at University of Kentucky. It is uh, the field that studies how the state um, conditions and supports the arts and culture in oh. the country. Oh, interesting. Well, that's a whole other topic, isn't it? So, yeah, um, it is. <laughs> are, so do you teach Gen Zers? 
Um, not with this course. I teach uh, PhD students who are mid-career professionals, but I have taught um, Gen Z students and uh, that late, that you know, young millennial, older Gen Z uh, age group. So yes, I, I have experience teaching them. All right. So without getting into details, uh, well, you could if you want to. <laughs> have you seen what you describe in your article, which we're going to get into? Have you did you get alerted to that in your own classrooms? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I've taught at both public and private colleges, and I've also worked as a writing advisor at a couple universities. And what I'm seeing is a very noticeable trend that there's. It's not just you know the age. It's not just you know this is what 18 year olds behave like. We're seeing a very sharp. Um, pivot now culturally with uh, Gen Z. They do not want to work in the same way that uh, previous generations have done. I am, uh, I'm right in the middle of the millennial generation, so I'm older than them, but I'm not that much older, and I still see a huge difference between the culture that we had, you know, maybe 10 years ago on colleges and now. There is um, less uh, willingness to uh, experience adversity to try and fail at something or to be challenged all for the sake of growth and, you know, later on success. They'd rather you- be costed and protected and achieve nothing than, you know, try and fail at achieving something great. Wow. <laughs> all right, you mentioned 18-year-olds, but what is the span here for Gen Z? Or Gen Z, Gen as Z- our Canadian friends say. <laughs> Uh, Gen Z is roughly uh, Americans born between 1995 and 2010. So the bulk of them are going to be um, in college or just on either side of college. So whenever we're looking at surveys uh, about young Americans or, you know, you read news articles about uh, college age Americans, that's going to be, you know, 80 to 100 percent of the, that population is going to be Gen Z. Um, And then even I think just anecdotally, given my, you know, experience working with young people, I think even some millennials who are born in the, you know, early to mid 90s kind of culturally still fit into that group. Um, What we what we really see is, you know, what we saw this trend happening anyway, but what's really accelerated and what made me feel motivated to put a label to it as the wasted generation is COVID. We saw the COVID learning loss. Yeah. Uh, really impact them, and that's not their fault, but it is their fault that they're not taking their own responsibility and demanding more of themselves and, you know, then, you know, settling for their own mediocrity and then bullying teachers in K-12 through and higher ed for better grades and, you know, easier homework. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the detail, what we're seeing, what you can actually quantify, yeah. and then we'll talk about mm-hmm. what you what you think is causing this. Uh, so you you follow, of course, campus reform follows what's happening on the campus. So uh, let's talk about the whole grading idea. What kinds of behavior yeah. are you seeing just with uh, with with just their response to grades and uh, achievement uh, bars that professors set in their curriculum? We're seeing an acceleration in both the frequency of demands and the entitlement in demands for better grades. Campus reform has been reporting on higher education since 2009, and the grade inflation trend is not new. Um, we have seen a higher percentage of grades become A or Bs uh, nationally over the last 40 years, 
But what's different now is that, you know, with the Kendrick Morales example I have in my box off that, you have students resorting to protests and, you know, using threats of getting the professor in trouble with the administration um, and demanding not just an A, but also homework that, you know, fits along their idea of what college is. Um, one of the things I reported on was a uh, blacklist that students at Stanford University had in 2020, and they got together and said, we're not going to take any classes from these professors who wouldn't give us time off to go out and enjoy the George Floyd riots, or, you know, because we were so affected by Black Lives Matter, they wouldn't cancel the test or make the test easier. So it's that kind of uh, emotional neediness that we're seeing now that we really did not see in connection to the great inflation trend that was happening in prior decades. Well, and they succeeded, right? I mean, can Stanford, like the Black Lives Matter uh, mm. kids that were involved in that, a white and black, of course, who participated mm. in that, they did succeed, right? Oh, they absolutely did succeed. And, you know, I even, you know, reported on um, an NYU professor who uh got fired, uh, I think about two years ago, for failing too many students in his class. I think he gave a lot of people Fs because they failed the test, and the administration said, you can't do that, and they let him go. And, you know, it's just, it sets the country up for failure because, you know, failure is necessary for success on a personal level. We would never have the great inventors like Thomas Edison or uh, any of our great thinkers if, you know, they never tried and failed as they uh, were on the journey to achieving their ultimate goals. So yeah. I worry about what we're, our country is going to look like in you know ten to twenty years when these people who would rather sit at home, you know, cocoon in their own rooms, are now the ones leading our country. You know, Zach, I think about whenever I love history. You probably do too. And when I look back and read biographies and. Or bios, you know, even of some of the founding fathers, they they learned languages at 25. Besides their regular yeah. schooling, they became engineers. They learned surveying. They they kept learning. They were hungry for learning. They worked hard. They most of them were agrarian, had farms, and ran. It's just it's yeah. amazing what they achieved. And now we like graduate from college barely, and sit on the couch and play video games. Or you know, what do we do? I, yeah. It's just. The contrast is frightening because that is what made our country great, no doubt about it. I want to, one practical story. I don't know if you, if it's in here. I don't think I heard it particularly, but it was a medical school where the students mm -hmm. were complaining or pre med that they didn't, that one of the courses was just too hard and no one could pass it. And so I think didn't they get the professor fired there. It was at organic chemistry, something like that. Yeah. Do you remember right. that? Yep. Yeah, so, so what kind of doctors, and they succeeded. What kind of doctors are we going to have? What kind of pilots are we going to have? If people don't want to do learn math uh, to excellence or learn chemistry to excellence, I, I, it's, I just wanted to bring it home why this really does matter yeah. in so many different ways. Uh, and, you know, on top of that, what lawyers are we going to have? You know, in the last two years, we've seen law students at uh, Yale University and Stanford University oh. use the heckler veto to drown out, you know, speakers on campus they don't want to hear from. They don't, if 
you know, they're no longer looking for the best ideas and to learn more from others, people's differences. They have decided what they think and what they know, and they're just going to eliminate, whether through intimidation or bullying, anything that's, you know, asks more of them to think, to challenge their opinions or to apply themselves further. Yeah, no critical thinking. The other thing, I, yeah. you know, I wish I had some examples, but off the top of my head, a lot of... Uh, like law um, professors, uh, mm. judges are ruling in ways that and are revealing even Supreme Court justices their ignorance really on the law and the Constitution. It's just that's stunning. Reminds me of I'll tell you this story because you'll like it. I told it on the air before, but I can't resist. Reminds me. Speaking of ignorance, of a I, I uh, was at a meeting or whatever a luncheon of some sort. And the former librarian of Congress was speaking, and someone asked her what was the worst question or most amazing question she ever got from a congressman. And to repeat, their job is to provide information for sitting congressmen. If they're preparing a speech, trying to write a bill, it's their job to provide whatever whatever information is needed. They've been doing this for centuries. So she said, oh, yes, I have one. A congressman recently asked me what Abraham Lincoln did when he left the White House. <laughs> that's I knew you'd, funny I knew and you'd terrifying like at the same time. Exactly. So that's, uh, that's, yeah. what's, that's how it plays out in Congress. I, I'm not yeah. saying that's a Zen, uh, Gen Zer, but that's what they're going to be like uh, if they get elected. So let's talk about what that... Um, that means in the workplace because that you know we started with that focus at the top of the show and you write about that a lot what's happening then in the workplace with gen zers or uh, interviews uh yeah so that report came out that um gen zers are bringing their parents to interviews that does not shock me one bit i have seen very similar things happen um in you know my capacity you know in my capacity working with young people that they're um, more and more let themselves be cocooned. I think we're going to see two things happen immediately and then in the near future. So right now we're seeing a trend where you have state governments like Pennsylvania and Utah, um, and then major employers like um, App, um, Google and IBM say, you know what, we're going to take all those job uh, notices we have on our websites and we're going to take out the four-year degree requirements because uh, college is no longer a good preparation for um, employment and participation in the workforce. There have been a lot of surveys in the last six months that show that 91% of uh, small business owners in this country say, we don't want, you know, we are hesitant about hiring Gen Z Americans because they are not prepared and college has failed to prepare them. I just spoke with um, a professional in um the small business uh, industry in this country. And he was telling me about some survey data they had where they talked to other employers and uh, over half of them are saying that Gen Z uh, Americans don't even know what's expected of them at the workplace. They have no context for what it's like to be in an office and then have expectations thrown at them at nine o'clock for the rest of their day through five o'clock, you know, if they even have a nine to five job. So that's just like the most, to me, glaring evidence that more and more higher education is more and more irrelevant to everyday life because 
what is happening on college campuses has just become so fanciful and removed from reality that you have 22-year-olds entering, you know, work offices and having no idea what what's expected of them, the whole concept of responsibility and accountability and so foreign to them. Okay. So I think we're going to see um, definitely, I think this trend about getting away from Gen Z employees um, is going to strengthen over the next five years. Gen Z might be the best thing that ever happened to boomers who are trying to compete with younger job applicants for new jobs. So we might see a slight reversal of the job trend uh, that we saw, um, you know, around 2010 when we had new social media where older Americans who were not digital natives were struggling to compete in that new environment. They might have more of an advantage now, now that Gen Z is proving itself to be not reliable as employees. Before we talk about the reasons, I, you mentioned a couple of things yeah. that, that yeah. are things that I didn't know were things. One of them is a, yeah. a trend called quiet quitting. What, what, what mm-hmm. is quiet quitting? Quiet quitting is this uh, trend that we've seen come for the last three years. And I actually wrote a, another editorial about it for Campus Reform about two years ago. It's uh, what young Americans do in the workplace when they've decided that they are checked out. Uh, it could be because they either want to get another job, which they don't really last long anywhere to begin with, or they're kind, or they're content with, you know, doing the bare minimum to stay employed and, you know, just earn a check until they can leave. So they'll go to work and they will do the bare minimum of their job, but they will never try to do better and they will never try to um, excel at their job. And the idea is that over time, you're doing less and less every day until you actually quit. So it's almost like powering down. It's like you're a machine and you're powering down between the moment you realize you're, you, know, you have a foot out the door and then your last day at work. And this is kind of the antithesis of another trend I've been seeing with uh, other young Americans applying for jobs is that they don't know how to go through the job application process. They will ghost people uh, with the, during the interview process. I've seen that. That's happened to me when I try to interview um, young Americans. So what do you mean? They what, don't what know do you how mean? to have eye contact. They don't know oh, how to no. engage with conflict or different people and different ideas, and so they just kind of retreat. And that's all due to the skills they are not learning in higher ed. You know, one thing that I've seen myself experienced, uh, mm. I don't know what, if it's the Gen Zers or the, you know, the other or millennials, but it's been this uh, expectation of uh, title and money without really delivering or having the experience. Is that carried into Gen Z also? Oh, yeah. So the um, Red Balloon is a um, just did a survey of uh, small business employers. And a lot of what you know they found out was talking to those employers. And a lot of um, people, uh, a lot of the employers say Gen Z wants to come in and start at the top. They have no, the sense of ground work, the sense of I have to kind of, you know, earn my dues. That mentality, which is so tied to the Puritan work ethic that we've had in this country for generations, is now slipping away, and that's not a coincidence when we look at how ingrained anti-Americanism is in higher education, how ingrained anti-Westernism is ingrained, and how much things like showing up on time, uh, being productive, uh, being professional, um, all those things have been accused as byproducts of white supremacy in higher ed. 
And so they're seen as foreign and evil things now to this generation. So not only do they not value them, they don't even know how to go about acting in a professional way. So we're seeing a complete divorce between this new generation that's been indoctrinated by radical professors and our country's tradition of, you know, striving for personal excellence. Do you see, uh, if you were to guess, yes, you don't have to guess. You've written about it a lot. (laughs) You've thought about it. Uh, But what do you think is causing this? What's the problem? Uh, The problem, you know, it's a a form of decadence in a way. We have a lot of students right now who are the children of affluent or middle-class families wishing for socialism. You know, the people who are the most active on college campuses with radical politics, the most vocal about quiet quitting or Lazy Girl Mondays, um, are the ones who have the most time to pursue those frivolous activities. So, and that's also exacerbated by how much we've seen tuition increase. I mean, the tuition bubble has to burst before we see anything change because the more ridiculously expensive college becomes, the more fanciful the whole experience is. And, you know, all those, all the extra money that students have to pay is being, you know, charged to student affairs offices, student services offices. So the rising cost of college has nothing to do with academics. It has to do with the experience of sleepaway camp and fancy dorms and fancy dining halls. So, you know, the culture of higher education has really just produced a whole decadent generation. You know, uh, just to tell, just you probably don't know this, so I'm going to tell you something you wouldn't know just by, by virtue of age. Uh, but back in the 80s, mm-hmm. there was a, a notorious... A subversive group that wanted to destroy this country called the Weather Underground. And two of the leaders mm-hmm. were Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn, who are now, Bernadine is at Northwestern Uni- uh, University in the uh, legal department in Chicago. And Bill Ayers was for years in high status. He's retired now. Uh, but both of them were children of executives. Um, Bill was the the son of the mm-hmm. chief executive for Commonwealth Edison, which was the electrical company that powered all, almost all of Illinois and Chicago. So, I mean, and so, and if you look at the members of the Weather Underground, they were all children of privilege. There's a theme here, mm-hmm. isn't that interesting? I think that's that might be an article you'd want to read it uh, write at some point because there is kind of a correlation yeah. there. Uh, all right, so do you think we could turn this around? Is it possible? It's possible. We have to, um, it has to go from the outside. So I think on this issue, I think the tuition bubble bursting is going to be a huge part of it and it's a huge key. And I think more and more families need to really examine the culture and the priorities that colleges have on campus and choose accordingly. They can boycott them by not attending the schools. They can you know, stop donations or supporting. So I think the more and more pressure colleges face, the more they'll change. Um, I know I've sounded very pessimistic this whole time, so I wanted to get in one thing of optimism, is that um, I've worked with dozens upon dozens of students who are in ROTC or um, in the military or the Foreign Service. Those are the best students I've ever encountered and they come from very, and a lot of them come from working class or impoverished backgrounds. They have a motivation I, that's incomprehensible. So, like, it still exists in small pockets, and 
I think whatever it is about the people who choose to serve in the military, if we can somehow replicate that type of energy and attitude to the rest of the country, I think we would be, we would be better off. Zachary, have you seen the movie The Boys in the Boat? Boys I just in saw it the last boat. week. I loved it. Okay, so let's. Uh, I we don't want to spoil anything except to say yeah. this is a famous story about a, a rowing mm. team in Washington State, <clears throat> uh, pr- uh, post World War, I think, or pre World War Two. Yeah. So yeah, uh, these boys uh, were had never rowed before. They were just hungry. They were poor. Yeah. They were laborers. Some were starving, and they wanted food, and so they tried out for this team. And they ended up uh, defeating the elite college guys who came with privilege, who were good rowers too. And they ended up uh, being repl- they replaced the varsity team. They were younger, but they were meaner and not meaner. I guess meaner, more intent about winning, uh, and uh, were mm. faster. And they actually ended up winning the uh, you know getting a gold medal at the Olympics. So it's it's an amazing story, and it really kind of kind of kind of. Uh, illustrates what we're talking about, don't you think, Zach? Oh, one hundred percent. You know, part of the plot is that for a lot for people on that team, they had to, you know, be on a team to get work study so they could afford college. I mean, right now we're seeing the lower, you know, the people who are w- less well off in this country can't afford higher education. They can't afford to be unrealistic. So that's why we're seeing such a trend with the types of people who are engaging in this type of. Uh, protest and um, entitlement. Yeah. Well, our guest is Zachary Marshall, and his article is Gen Z is shaping itself into the wasted generation. And it's uh, it's in at Fox News. You can find it there. We'll also post a link to it on our Facebook page. And so, uh, Zachary, it's nice to meet you. And um, hopefully we can talk again sometime. You're doing some great work. Sounds to me like you got, you're all over it. You are not behaving like a Gen Zer. <laughs> Thank you. That's the highest compliment you could have given me. <laughs> okay, Zachary Marshall, thanks for joining us today on Sandy Rios 24-7. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. Sandy Rios back with you on Sandy Rios 24-7. You know, Preborn has saved, with your help, over 58,000 babies just this year. Each of these babies are truly miraculous, and every day, Preborn celebrates 200 miracles. $28 a month can be the difference between the life and death of a child. And when a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection that doubles a baby's chance at life. Let's join together and help mothers choose life. Just go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy, and make your most generous Donation. Gen Zers looking for new types of work are jumping on a new trend, lazy girl job. The trend being pushed on TikTok with life coaches advising followers to look for roles that are non-technical, low stress, mostly or completely remote and pay between 60 to 80K. 
I think part of the challenge of this is it's fun in the moment, but you got to get bored and it definitely doesn't set you up for financial success. Lily, what do you think about all of this? I am concerned about the culture that we're feeding in our nation's young people who want to do very little. You know, it's estimated that like 30 percent of workers are going to be Gen Z's by the year 2030. So if they don't want to work, then who's going to take on those jobs? Now, when you look at today, I mean, it's so funny. They're talking about yoga and doing what you like. Well, one in Four Gen Zers lives in poverty today, so I think I'm understanding wow. why wow. this is happening. Yeah. Yeah. And and the scary part about it, we talked about China earlier. When you look at the stats, Chinese young people want to be astronauts and engineers and mathematicians, and our kids want to be influencers. So I think that mm. easy button, if we don't pay attention to that, it will shift the culture of what has made America the hustling-driven country that it is. And it concerns me. I think we, the grown-ups, need to step in and make them realize well, that being a girl boss is not so bad after all. Yeah. And then when you're looking at suicide rates that are up, sadly, and it's a very real thing with Gen Zers, well, th- this explains a lot of that. Lack of purpose mm. as human beings Good with point. our God-given talents is what keeps you going, yeah. something bigger than yourself. And if it's all, all about myself at home, anti-work, anti-capitalism, and all pro-yoga and everything else fun, well, how are you going to pay for it? And that will get you more Just depressed. Just to follow up, are you anti-yoga? No, okay, I love fine. yoga, but you have to be able to afford the classes, especially here in New York. Too I, I love yoga, too. Right, we'll take a break. We'll- oh, that was Maria Bartiroma and her guests. And I think she really just, her guest, uh, kind of answered the problem here, the question, a little bit in part. I've asked Bruce to join me. We're going to play an, another couple of clips for you in a second. But, uh, Bruce, I, I know, well, that last comment was pretty insightful, don't you think? We have experienced a lot of this firsthand. We have a friend who is the... Um, human resources director for a large law firm in Chicago, very prestigious. And she mentioned to us that the young attorneys and the young support people actually use a term lazy Monday out in the open. In other words, like I'm tired from the weekend. So on Monday, don't expect a lot out of me because I'm tired. You know, I heard her say that, but it didn't connect with me. I didn't register. So it's the same thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I I saw this coming in the FBI in my later years when I was involved in hiring uh, because I would have to polygraph people in order for them to get their security clearance. And what what the professor mentioned about no eye contact, inappropriate dress. My gosh, I remember a girl coming in with a sleeveless dress on with an entire sleeve of tattoos. And look, that's okay. That doesn't mean you're a bad person, but you might want to at least cover that up for a job interview. You know, unreasonable salary demands, things like that. Remember that you did a polygraph on a young person, and you asked him what was one word he would use to describe himself. I I used to ask people to kind of encapsulate themselves in a one- or two-word phrase. Uh, And I had looked at his background, and he he had had a very mediocre um, academic career. He had no extracurricular activities. He had gone to what I would call a mediocre college and hadn't had any work experience. And I said, how would you describe yourself? And he looked me right in the eye and he went, phenomenal. And all I could say is, well, we're going to find out how phenomenal you really are. Well, that kind of capsulizes it. That is kind of the the disease that's infecting our young people. So I want to pause for a second, though, because I teased, I played part of that video that you and I both enjoy, the job interview. (laughs) And I want to play the whole thing because I think uh, it's hilarious, but it also 
just kind of puts flesh on what we're talking about. Let's listen. Amy, it says you are trained in technology. That's very good. Are you adept at Excel? No. PowerPoint? No. Publisher? Not really. Exactly in what area of technology mm -hmm. are you proficient? <laughs> Snapchat, Pinterest, Instagram, Vine, Twitter. You know the big ones. I'm surprised you didn't say Facebook. <laughs> That's for old people, like my parents. <laughs> That's funny. Well, Amy, when you're working for me, you have to have those kind of research skills because I'll send you things for you to comb through and get the answers and send them to me. So for that, you've got to be really good at technology. For stuff like that, no problem. I'll just ask Siri. You'll just ask Siri? You know, Siri, tell me this. Siri, find me that. We're all good getting you the answers. Tell Siri I want you ready to go at 8 sharp each and every morning. I don't understand. What don't you understand? What you just said. You don't understand be ready to go? No. You said 8, right? Yes. Eight, like, in the morning, eight? Yes, in the morning. Yeah. That kind of doesn't work for me. Who gets up at eight? I do. I Skype with my French boyfriend in Paris until, like, three in the morning. I don't even get to Starbucks until, like, ten, where I order my grande chai tea latte, three pumps, skim milk, light water, 2% foam, extra hot, but not too hot. So if it's okay, I work best in the morning at 10.45. <laughs> Wow. Amy, I don't think we're going to be a good fit. Why are you so negative? I can sense your hostilities, and right now I am not feeling very safe. I've been here for over five minutes, and the only nice thing you have said to me was nice resume, which I typed all night for this meeting with you. You've given me no guidance, no validation, no encouragement, no supervision. Is there an HR director somewhere? HR director? Yes, I need to speak to someone. I may have to take off today as a mental health day. Take today off? You, Amy, Amy, look at me. You don't work here. Are you firing me? Okay, yes. I wanted you to hear the whole thing because it's so funny. And you can see that, by the way, online. If you go uh, just search millennial job interview, it's just, it's hilarious. And even looking at them makes it even funnier. But uh, truly, Bruce, it's been my experience because I've been working, I've worked with millennials a lot after I, well, I just have. And then worked with younger people too in the radio industry. And there is a presumption. A lot of them don't know what they don't know. And so they presume equality in terms of knowledge and position, and they're very bold about it. I had one uh, producer who immediately wanted to host the show for me. He was young. He didn't have any credentials. Like, I, he didn't have any, he thought he knew as much as I knew, even though I was, you know, 20 years his senior and had a lot of experience, life experience. I would, but he just assumed that that was part of his job. So this is the kind of thing we're up against. And, you know, it's not just the kids' faults. It's really coming from the parents and the way they've raised kids. I mean, you hear, good job, good job. You know, a, a kid walks 
three steps uh, over to pick up a paper. Oh, that's wonderful. You did that so well. Um, this constant rewarding. And we, as parents, transfer to these children the importance of them. Look, we love them. It has nothing to do with that. But you cannot, you're doing your child a disservice when you raise them and you hold their hand every minute of the day. I cannot fathom this thing of parents showing up for a job interview. I, I have inside, to inside going in the room. Going in the room. I have to tell you, as an employer, I think I would just say, you know what? Thank you for coming. We're not interested in hiring you and your parents. We were only interested in whether or not you are going to be hired. So you can go to your next applic- You know, your next uh, job interview, and uh, we'll we'll wish you good luck. Uh, that just floors me. Yeah. You've opened up a whole discussion, Bruce, which I, I think of my, um, by contrast, my own upbringing uh, briefly. I didn't want my parents to know or interfere, interfere or intervene in any, any problem I had. I, the, the last resort was to go to my parents, the last resort. Uh, so we just had a different, we were different measurement on what was happening. And I do think it's very important, and I'll say this to you parents also, your children are not the center of the universe. They are precious to you, but they are just children. They, they have to go out into the world and be with other grown-up children. And if you've told them all of their life that they are wonderful, they're good, they're the best, they're great, everything they do is wonderful and marvelous, their coloring, their verbiage, their language, the way they look, you give them a false sense of identity, which shatters when they enter the world. And I will just give you a biblical reason for those of you that are Christians. You've probably heard me say, but you need to remember that the Apostle Paul told us in, uh, I forgot, I've forgotten which book it is right now, but we should always have an accurate view of ourselves. <clears throat> not an inflated view, not a I'm a worm worthless because we're not. In, in Christ, we are uh, for, we're, the, we're the child of the king. But in our own capacity, we are not the most beautiful. We are not the most talented. We are not the most gifted. We just aren't. And so if you send your children out thinking that, uh, that's a disaster. And the other thing is that you have to teach your children personal responsibility. They have to learn from an early age. I used to try to do this with my son, was every birthday I gave him a new responsibility. I also, because I, now this is the one thing my parents didn't do well for me. I never was able to make, you, they didn't care what you thought about anything. So you didn't have to make decisions. They just said, go here, go there, and you did it. So I was not a good at decision making early in my life. And I wanted my son to learn how to make good decisions. So I really concentrated on that. Now, look, I'm not the world's, as I just said, I'm certainly not the world's best parent. But I'm just telling you, please consider this. It's not good for you either. You have to keep your interests. You've got to keep your priorities. Your, your wife or your husband are more important in your life, more important you need to make them more of a priority than your children. That probably seems really upside down in this culture, but we are ruining our kids. Will you just hear this? You are ruining your children. The Bible calls it spoiling. It's like fruit that sets, sets out, starts out beautiful and then just becomes rotten. This is what happens to children if you don't teach them discipline uh, and decision-making and hard work. 
So think about that, okay? Pray about that. Let's We could change the world this way if each of you would just stop and think about that and maybe alter your own behavior. And, you know, we don't mean to tar every young person with this brush. No, no, no. Because we have met some incredible young people. It, it is not impossible to turn out the way we think people should turn out in this society. Uh, so we don't want to discourage people, but we, we do want to bring that to people's attention that it's this is not set in stone. This can That's be reversed. Exactly. I want to play one last clip here because this is very important because we ask the decision, we ask because we ask the reason. What's causing this? We talked about parents, but this is from a guy. His name, he calls himself Healthy Gamer Gigi. Okay, Healthy Gamer Gigi. But I want you, you to hear what Healthy Gamer Gigi had to say about all of this. Let's listen. So everyone's wondering why Gen Z is so nihilistic. And I see stuff like, you know, these corporate CEOs who are like, no one wants to work anymore. And the kids don't, they don't have discipline and they don't have no work ethic and everyone's just lazy and everyone's just like, ah, no one's chasing things. And the reason that Gen Z thinks that life has no meaning is because life has no meaning. So if we really stop and think about it, in the past, the meaning of life or what got us through our early years was this kind of script that later on we will be happy, right? There was this sort of idea that if you sit down and you work hard for a while, eventually the good things will come. And the purpose of life is to have the good things. And so early on, when we're sort of like, when our brains are young and we're still sort of forming what life is, we would kind of go through stuff and we'd say like, okay, this is the prize over here. There's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Let me follow the rainbow because eventually I'll be happy. Well, I think uh, healthy gamer Gigi has a point. I do think that kids are depressed because they're being told the earth is going to end, uh, the world is going to end in just a few years because of climate change. Uh, they see uh, the economics uh, kind of falling out. And I, I, even my own son, working with young people as a pastor, has told me this, that there's a hopelessness. But that all boils down to the real root of it. And I'm going to end with this. And that is life without God has no meaning. That's the part that holy gamer Gigi missed. It's God. It's that vacuum. It's the meaninglessness because gaming won't replace it. A good job won't replace it. Even a hard work ethic won't replace God. And uh, that is what sorts us out and gives us right thinking and an accurate view of ourselves and an accurate view of your children too. The mind of God does not really want you if you get if you uh, conform yourself to the mind of Christ. It's not going to be adoring your children Making them gods, I think, is what I'm trying to say. So that's uh, basically all I have to say and have time to say about this today. But it's uh, Gen Z shaping itself into a wasted generation. Well, maybe not. Let's change that, okay? I want to thank uh, Preborn, my my sponsor, because they save babies' lives. They're turning that around. So we can turn the Gen Z thing around, too. Go to preborn.com slash sandy. Uh, to make your most generous donation, preborn.com slash Sandy. And you know you can call us at 662-821-2040. You can write me at Sandy at AFR.net. You can find us on social media, and you can find us on any podcast platform. But today, thank you so much for listening to today's edition of Sandy Rios 24-7.